April 2020, baby! We got the pandy, we got the demic, we got the pandemic, the coronavirus still in full force. Not slowing down. Not slowing down. I wish it would, because I would like to do something with my existence. I would like Starbucks to be open. I would like to walk into a Starbucks, order an iced mocha latte. I don't even drink iced mocha lattes. I just want one because I got the pandy keeping me indoors, and I'm sick of it. Okay? Episode 74. Thank you for tuning in. Episode 74 features the great Bernie Taylor. Bernie Taylor is an author on the intersectionality of archaeology, anthropology, and astronomy. He works in this like weird trifecta of those three fields, and he does really fascinating work. And today, he's on the show to talk about something you should all love. Dogs. Everyone has dogs. Big dogs, small dogs. There's a strict protocol about what is and what isn't a dog. And this is important. So get out a piece of paper or something, get out a pen, and write this down, jot this down. If you wake up in the middle of the night, and you own a dog, and you walk to the bathroom, say you wake up, you have to take a piss, oh my god, I have to piss, Brendan, oh, I have to go to the bathroom, oh, it's coming on fast, I gotta run, and you trip over your dog, and in the act of tripping over your dog, if you kill your dog, if you can rupture the spleen of your dog by just a little trip, if you step on it and it yelps and just falls over dead, it's not a dog, okay? It's an oddly shaped cat, and that's a fact. Chihuahua, loud cat. Pug, ugly cat. We're talking about dogs here. And dogs are um, a really important topic in the history of humanity because dogs, according to some anthropologists, might have been the thing that separated us from Neanderthals. One died, one survived. Why? That's an important question. Dogs might play a role. Number two, where did dogs come from? Where did dogs come from? Did they descend from wolves? Or did they descend from a common ancestor to what we now know as a dog? You'll have to listen to find out. We talked to Bernie Taylor about it. He has researched this topic, written about it. Check him out on beforeorion.com. Check out his most recent book, Before Orion. On all the social media platforms, same thing. Please, people, please rate the show five stars on Apple Podcasts. And just type, listen, this is a grade A podcast. We all know it's a grade A podcast. Everyone knows. Not We don't get Fs. We don't get Ds. We don't get Cs. We don't get Bs. We don't get B pluses. We don't get A minuses. We don't get A pluses. We get As. Grade A. Now, listen. I know that when you leave a review, it's commonplace around here. You type grade A. You go on Apple Podcasts. You do five-star button. And you type grade A. Review. It's easy. But not today. If you listen to this episode and you want to leave a five-star review... I need you to just go ahead and type, pugs suck. Because they suck. Because no one cares about pugs. Because pugs aren't even dogs. If you trip over a pug in the middle of the night, you you will murder the pug. You will murder the pug. And that's because pugs don't count as dogs. I don't know what they are. I don't know where they came from. I don't even care to know where they came from. Get them out of my existence. So please, rate the show five stars. Pugs suck. Just do it. Okay, follow us on all the social media, thestateoftheuniverse.com, and please join the mailing list for updates every week about the show, new episodes, questions, giveaways, the whole nine yards. If you want some books from the authors that we get on the show, we do everything through the mailing list, so do it. Okay, sign up for that. Please, thank you. I appreciate it. First off, subscribe on YouTube. Go ahead and do that. Anyway, please give it up for the great, the powerful, the wonderful, the amazing Bernie Taylor. Well, we're going to talk about dogs today. 
And the root of this dog story goes to China, a place that I lived in my mid twenties. Oh, did you? 30, year, 30 years ago, I lived in Beijing. I was in Beijing during Tiananmen Square. Okay. So if people think of panic today with this virus that's out there that less than 1% of the people could die from, think about being in a war zone with millions of people, um, jeeps running up and down the streets, shooting machine guns up into the buildings, um, tanks that had just torn right through buses, um, barricades of anything that could possibly be people could find up in fire in the streets. And at nighttime, people used to go back to, at least the, the media would go to where I lived. It was at the Great Wall Sheraton Hotel. Um, and there was a bar in the bottom of it on the, on the base floor. And it was called like the Foreign Correspondence Club or something. And they used to bet every night which, which would be the ending to every American news story, whether it be a dog story or a cat story. Mm, and at that time, we had, CBS, we had CBS, NBC, and ABC, just a few others. And the nightly news, they always ended on a good, a good pet story because that's what made people feel good. So when I pitched you for this program to do the dogs, I was thinking, we need a good pet story. And we're going to do both. I'm not a cat person, but we're going to you know, bring a few cats in here and there to make it complete. We, can, we, don't, need, we, we don't need any cats, actually. We can oh, keep we the cats far cat. away. Oh, this is this is a the cheetah, the big cat. All right, I can do that. So we're going to talk about cheetahs a little bit. That's an important one. Um, yeah, they tie into the big picture. So are we ready for a good dog story? We are now. Here's the thing. This has been an interesting. Uh, I had a. Let's see. I think it was episode thirty-two. I had a wildlife biologist type person on the podcast, uh, Doctor Aisha Akhtar. Uh, interestingly, I recorded with my mic backwards in that episode, so <laughs> not important. The important point is, though, we were talking about the emergence of, like, dog culture on social media and how mm -hmm. much social media relies on just memes and pictures of dogs. Sure. And you're, Bernie, coming at me, and you're about to tell us a story that, that that's not a new phase. And we've been fascinated with dogs for a very long time. We've been fascinated from dogs from the beginning. And I believe we exist today because of dogs. We're going to go to China first. I'm going to tell you a good snake story first. So I lived in my mid-20s, I lived in Beijing, and I traveled throughout the whole country after Tiananmen because everything was closed down. And I went to this small restaurant in central China, and uh, they had snake on the menu. And I never had snake before. I had eel and these other things. And so I ordered the snake and a few other dishes. And the guy said to me in Chinese, he said, Dodala. It means how much? How big? And I said, Well, you know, I've got these two or three other dishes, so you know, just just a plate of snake. And he says, No, he looks at me in Chinese, no, dodala, dollar. And I explain my story again. He says, and he pulls me back into the into the kitchen. And in this big tub, there's snakes, live snakes. Mm -hmm. And he points at he points at these snakes different size and he says to me, Dodala. How big a snake do you want? Because you just can't order a dish of snake. I mean, you got to order the whole thing because no one else doesn't eat the rest. <laughs> okay. okay. So it ties it ties into this whole this whole story. Uh, now, at this point, are you still snake. at this point, Bernie, in the story? Are you still? Uh, do you still have an appetite after you see a tub of snakes? Well, I had it. I it was it tastes like chicken. Would, how big of like one eel. did you pick? How big of one did you pick? Did you oh, pick the smallest one you saw? Well, they didn't have any small ones. And so every snake they had in there could have, without eating anything else, could have fed five people. 
So they pretty much okay, had so these were like from, were they thick? These were they, wild sticks. They were about the let's say about as thick as your wrist. Oh jeez, how yeah. much meat? Maybe like that's oh, I don't think I want to eat. Snake. Oh, it was, it was a big chicken meal. Um, so interesting. So interesting is we're going back. We're going back to China, and I remember when I was in in China. Um, Chinese are very territorial or actually nationalistic, and they would they would argue about what they owned first or what they invented first. And of course, we think of gunpowder, right? Mm -hmm. of Chinese characters and so forth. But it was everything. And they, I remember being on air, on a um, bus once with an Italian woman on one side and a Chinese woman on the other, and they were arguing about whether Marco Polo stole pasta from China or did the um, Italians invented first. Okay. And that's what it's about. Well, about 19, that sentiment emerged in 2013. There was a paper published in Nature. Um, the genomics of selection in dogs and the parallel evolution between dogs and humans. The parallel evolution between dogs and humans. Mm -hmm. Going back to the concept that we may exist as a result of dogs. And what this, this study did was published in Nature. Um, they took so-called indigenous dogs in China and they matched the DNA, compared the DNA to wolves in Siberia. Right. Okay. And so the, the concept is all, all dogs come from wolves. That was the concept. Yes. What they said is that, in fact, it, it doesn't seem to work that way. And that there was a split between dogs and wolves some 32,000 years ago. Mm hmm Okay. Yes. So, now, I have so, seen even a modern papers that claim very similar findings and it's interesting to me bernie because when you sent me this topic idea and you've been doing a lot of research in this avenue um you something you said in sort of the outline is you said you you used a phrase like why did we always why do we always believe this why do we and i was thinking about my own life and that was ingrained to me uh at a very 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 young age very young age, that um, that dogs sort of just naturally came uh, from a lineage of wolves and and mm -hmm. began living alongside humans. Exactly. Well, this Chinese story, this Chinese paper in Nature didn't get a lot of traction in the outside of China because the Chinese ran it as well. We've invented dogs, <laughs> just like right. they invented yep. pasta and gunpowder and everything else. Okay. Yep. And so there was a lot of there's a lot of speculation on. The, the validity of the story, even though it was a, a, a Russian slash Chinese story. Yeah. They apparently Another also story. invented uh, COVID-19, Bernie Taylor, and I'm not happy about it. <laughs> well, that goes back to the, the restaurant where you get the snakes and they probably had bats in the menu, too. Um, if I'd recognized the character for, for bats, I could have told you. Um, but there was another study published in 2015 by Skolkland, Pontius Skolkland. And, um, and what he did was... Him and his team found the DNA from a wolf 35,000 years ago, and they compared that with dogs, domesticated dogs. And their conclusion was that dogs and wolves came from a common ancestor, right? whereas dogs did not come from wolves. Mm -hmm. Changes the whole paradigm. Exactly, okay? yeah. So this whole story about you know humans rescued orphaned wolf cubs and they became dogs is not true. Well, it does happen, and there's cases of it among naturalists in Alaska and other places. Mm -hmm. That is not where dogs come from. 
Right. right. So we've co- we've completely changed the power. This is a paradigm changer. Now, Skolkland is actually no one doubts his data and no one doubts the study, but he's done a lot of other um, studies on DNA. And one of them was that he found that there was DNA of Asian people in South America or Southeast Asian people in South America. And the question is, well, how did that happen? Um, and, and the archaeologists and anthropologists don't doubt the data. They just can't. They don't have a, a way of explaining how it happened. Right. And now, so, if, if I can so, interject here, uh, Bernie, and you can correct me if I'm wrong on this, but you know, I, I was doing some some research on this exact idea, and a lot of the reasons we think that maybe dogs came from wolves is because we didn't necessarily have a good handle on when dogs even originated because the the ways in which that we would date bones were were very poor and so i I pulled a quote um from pat shipman who is a retired adjunct professor Mm -hmm. of anthropology at pennsylvania state uh university i read her book yes and i'm sure you'll cite it because it's a i'm sure it's an insightful book um but but one of the quotes she had in a natural geographic article was uh the deputy director of the oxford lab tom higman um Mm -hmm. says that if you have a fifty thousand year old bone and it's contaminated with only 1% of modern carbon, okay? Which might seem like a pretty good number, One percent, only 1%, meaning you take a bone out of the ground, and you have it in a pristine condition, and you only contaminate it with 1% of, of what you'd call modern carbon, because carbon has a, it radioactively decays over time, has a half-life, and so you can figure out how old something like a bone is by looking at, at essentially how much carbon is left, how many half-lives did it go through. And so if you just contaminate it with 1% of new carbon, you can miss out on 13,000 years. So you will date a bone that's 50,000 years old. You'll date it at 37,000 years old just by a slight contaminant. And that's why you see a lot of, of anthropologists coming to the conclusion in, say, like the 60s, 70s, 80s. And correct me if I'm wrong on this, Bernie, but I, I think this is why. Um, you see them coming to the conclusion that dogs originated from wolves is because the timelines at the time seemed to match up. But now we have some contradictory timelines as the science gets better. Well, what Skolkland says, so that's part of it. But the bigger part of it is that even, so dogs come from a common ancestor of the gray wolf, but they kept interbreeding with with wolves. Mm-hmm. And so we have a sort of false positive. And if you look at Arctic breeds, have a greater um, percentage of, you know, original DNA from or so not original, but cross DNA with wolves than, let's say, a Chihuahua. Like a Siberian Husky or something. Like a Siberian Husky. Okay, yeah. Which is why a Siberian Husky looks more like a gray wolf in the Arctic, or an Arctic wolf, than does a Chihuahua. Okay. Right. Um, and so the, there, there's been people for, for many years have written books. They said that dogs don't come from wolves. There are all, all these differences and so forth. And it wasn't until these two DNA studies that came out that said – you know, we should really start thinking about this. And of course, the first one, the controversial one was in China, where it was tied into nationalism. Yep. Um, and then the Skolkin study, he, he, at this time, he was um, he was a, um, a geneticist at the Harvard Medical School in, in charge of the lab. Mm-hmm. But he had no nationalist tendencies or anything like that. Right. Um, so it changed the story. So another big change in the story is my work. Um, and we started seeing you've seen some of my videos and we looked at images and of all these animals. Okay? Mm-hmm. We have elephants, we have horse, we have people, we have birds and so forth. But we also have what I would describe as dogs. And this is the what, why I would say they're dogs. And it's a question, for, I'll give you as a question. 
Have you ever seen a wild dog with its ears down? Actually, not wild dog, but a wolf, a wild canid with its ears down. I don't think I've ever seen. Uh, let me think about my planet Earth history. Um, I could not. Here's the thing, Bernie. If I witnessed Ooh. a murder, okay, and a sketch artist came to me and made me sketch the person who committed the murder, I couldn't do it, even if I had a picture of them that I was I could I could look at reference, look at for thirty seconds and then put it down. I could not recall it. I'm so bad at memory recall. Not the guy to ask that question. Um, but let but if I think about it, I think. No. Think foxes, wolves, um, wild dogs in Africa. The right. No, 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 no. Yeah, no. Absolutely no. See, yeah. look at that. You did recall. Good job. So we have we have caves and we have um, images from two caves in on the Iberian Peninsula that have dogs with down ears. Mm-hmm. Or canids with down ears, right? Okay. So, so based on everything we know in today, we could say that those are... Um, they could be wild dogs, but we could say that they're not wolves, foxes, or you know um, those sort of those sort of animals. Right. But we also have some do- dogs with ears up. Okay. And so, so do you date? Do you date these uh, these these ca- instances of cave art that depict these uh, different types of dogs? So the 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 El Castillo one was dated um, about eight or nine years ago and published in science and how they did the dating was the, the, the this panel is limestone the calcium carbonate or calcium secretes from the the limestone mm-hmm. and as it secretes it becomes a dateable substance okay? right if it secretes on top of the cave art the cave art is at least as old or a second or a second older than the, the secretion right okay so we can date the cave art to about thirty four thousand years ago which is interesting. And, and where is this that you said? So El Castillo, which is the Cantabrian part of Spain, mm-hmm. in the let's say the northern, let's say northwestern. Yeah. Now, thirty-four thousand years ago ties in with Scotland, who says that the earliest twenty-seven, and he goes up into the high thirties, and the Chinese study that says thirty-two. So these 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 are all in the same window. Mm-hmm. Kind of gets interesting now. Yes. Now the dogs that we see are. Well, actually, if you go, if you don't breed, if you don't breed a dog and the dog just mix up, they become what we would call mutt. They become this generic spotted dog, um, you know, maybe about 30 pounds and its head is about a foot and a half high. Um, and you find these these generic sort of these mutt sort of type dogs all around the world. But these dogs that we're seeing, they're identifiable. identifiable. These dogs are not mutts. They're very distinct. And one of the dogs is... Um, a dead replica for an Aswan Slohi, um, which it looks like a greyhound, and they use them in the Sahara to run down gazelle. Mm-hmm. Another dog is a dead ringer for a canary dog, which looks like a big, um, like a big mastiff, and it's a it would be a guard or a fighting dog. Canary dogs originate from the Canary Islands off the coast of Morocco, which you know because that's where they have the observatories. Yes, so it ties into astronomy. Um, we have dogs that look like the uh, uh, mountain dogs, the Swiss mountain dogs. So we have completely different muzzles, completely different um, ear for, for um, ears and legs among among these three dogs. And we also have a, um, a spitzish dog. So a spitz dog has a big furry tail that flips back on flips on its back. 
mm-hmm. and the face is very foxish. And so um, Akita is a, is a spit stock, which we find in Japan, but we also find Finnish, Finnish spits. And the DNA, the, the spits are some of the oldest dogs. Okay, now when you're Just, listing these dogs, are these dogs that you're saying we've, we've found the fo- in the fossil record and we've dated? Or are you we saying... We have pictures of them. We have dead ringer pictures of them. Of in cave art. In cave art. Okay. Pictures that are so... I can't tell you that that's an Aswan slowly. I can tell you that if you put that, if you put the images side by side, you couldn't tell the difference. I see. So in essence, in in just is this just an El Castillo cave, or is this in so, multiple? So caves? the other one is Gorm's cave. Um, this, okay. There's two. There's, there's two primary um, caves where I have the images. One is Gorm's cave, and all the images are actually many of the images are on my webpage before Ryan.com and under dogs. And we'll so link. We'll link look, it there. We'll link. Yeah. People can look for themselves. Um, and so um, Gorm's cave is dated to about the same period as El Castillo. Okay. We have the same window mm-hmm. of time. Now, what's interesting is there's a third, there's another dog which looks like a Majorcan shepherd dog, which is not a dog that you may not have seen. I've actually never seen one outside of the Internet. Um, and we have one that looks very close to it. It's a very unique type of dog. So we have dogs. We have a Swiss mountain dog, which is a what's called an isolated area in the mountains. We have the canary dog, which is from an island. We have this Aswan Slothi, which is from the, the Saharan Desert, again, uh, an isolated area. And we have this Majorcan dog, which are islands, the Balearica Islands, off the co- off the, the western, eastern coast of Spain. Yes. Now, this is a question I have all the time when I have uh, people involved in this field of research, archaeology, when I talk mm-hmm. to them, when I interview them, etc. Um, particularly when it comes to cave art. Mm-hmm. How sure can you be that the p- depictions of dogs in cave art mm-hmm. is is actually depicting reality in the sense that if you have a dog uh that is shaped one particular way and next to it you have a dog that is shaped eerily similar but with a bushy tail say sure how are you sure it's not eerily sim- it's not eerily similar they actually have the mannerisms of the same dogs so the dogs that the for example, the Swiss Mountain Dog is typically found with its, its tongue hanging out. Okay. Okay. It has yeah, this, yeah. Uh-huh. this very big muzzle from top to bottom. So um, there's enough differences that you're you're sure this isn't a say like um, artist failure, if you will. Yeah, this is an art failure. In fact, okay. in fact, on the on both of these panels, the artists for each one of them is highly defined in the in in the characteristics mm-hmm. of the taxonomy of the animals. I see. So he just doesn't show, for example, a in the gallery disc, he has a an ostrich. He has the ostrich with its head turned back. He has the legs crossed. Yeah. Um, you can see the toes of the ostrich. Okay. So these are high, these. It's very high art. A bit um, of an aside, no, real quick, Bernie, because I I'm, this comes to mind, and I'm I'm just curious if if you know or if you've ever been asked this. Um, when you look at a cave painting like El Castillo mm-hmm. or or any real ca- cave art, um. How could you differentiate between artists? I've never really thought of this before. Like that's a really good question. How are you yeah, sure no. that um, there's not multiple people painting, one person painting, etc.? Because I don't okay, imagine that's... it's like a you know I don't imagine it's like the Mona Lisa or something that that has some signature to it, um, or they literally signature. a signature on it. They do have signatures. Oh, yeah, they have. They have. The artists have signature in the way that they present their subjects. Okay. Okay. So Picasso, let's think of Picasso. Picasso 
we believe he invented cubism, but he actually borrowed it from the Altamira cave. So Picasso had a very distinct style that other people copied in different ways. But cubism is is distinctly Picasso. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we we're talking about one panel in one cave. But there are many panels in all the the European most of the European caves have many panels. I don't believe that one artist made all the panels in the cave, but I believe that individual artists made those particular each panel. Now, in the in the out in the cave of Altamir, I'm sorry, um, cave the the, the the Chauvet cave, um, they actually did a study on this fairly large panel that would with with dots, and they they figured out that it was in fact one artist, and that he had like a broken finger or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's based on his, his style. That he, I think he was left-handed and all this sort of stuff. So that was that has actually been studied from from the perspective, but from an artistic standpoint, there's there are commonalities in how these artists are within each image or in each panel, there's a distinct style. And I don't see that distinct style across panels in other, in, within the I same see. cave, much less across other caves. So I, I would argue that these are in fact, that most of the, the characters are made in, on one panel are made by one artist. Someone may have come in later and added one or two characters, but you know, for the the gallery discs on, in the El Castillo Cave, there's forty or fifty characters. I believe that the artist, one artist, made most most of those. Now, there's also a and there's another reason I believe that the artists, the individual artists, made these is that they overlap. Okay, so that the you know the body of one animal could be the legs of another, um, and so the the artists had to have foresight in the perspective of being able to do that. So, so that's that's my personal hypothesis based on this. But going back to dogs, okay. Mm-hmm. So we have those we have those 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 breeds that we can recognize today. That we I can't tell you that the same ones because we don't have the DNA. Right. Um, but the commonality of those breeds is they're all in isolated areas. Mm-hmm. And so perhaps the reason why those dogs hadn't changed is that they weren't sent around the world. And that's why we recognize them today. So, so it's in not the case diversity that creates a dog, that, it's not diversity that keeps the species the same. Right. It's non. It's non breeding with other dogs. Right. So my question is, um, if you see, it, let's say, um, pick one of these dogs that you can find in Kbar. Sure. If they've been around, undisturbed in terms of their DNA, for mm-hmm. thirty thousand years, presumably we can find them in the fossil records somewhere. Or in specifically in the location that they live, or did live, um, have we been able to do that? And have we been able to show that a, you know a particular breed of dog? Let, let's say, what what is a good example of one that you that has been around um, for tens of thousands of years? Well, here's the problem with that we actually don't have that many dogs or wolves in the fossil record. We have less than a dozen. Really? Yes, that's so. Most of the studies that you've seen are based on less than a dozen. In the fossil record, wow, we have more. We have more diversity, or actually, picture images of dogs now in the Paleolithic cave are than we have actual fossils of dogs. That is so they, both incredible and mysterious, right? That adds like a bit of mystery to it. One of the things it tells us is that they weren't eating dogs, right? Because so, some of these caves are loaded up with reindeer bones, 
So we can figure that they were, you know, eating a lot of reindeer. Um, so it tells us they weren't eating dogs. That's that's actually a really important concept um, mm-hmm. because how, and so what happened to the dogs? Um, we actually don't have that many human fossils either. Right. Going back thirty four thousand years ago, mm-hmm. um, and pre- presumably there are more humans than there than there were dogs. So that's that's a uh, that's a really good question. Um, so, but we we have the, these isolation of these dogs that apparently haven't haven't changed very much. Um, so the question then becomes the big question is well, how did we let's say match up or unite a partner with dogs? I'm going to pose this as a, te- a question to you, a test. Okay. So let's say you and your wife. Yep. We're sent off into the woods for one week. Mm-hmm. I'm going to give you a knife. I'm going to give you a pack of matches. And I'm going to even give you a water bottle, okay? An okay. empty water bottle. Yep. And then I'm going to send you off with, in opposite direction, into the same woods, two dogs. And at the end of the week, you're both going to come back. What's going to be the condition of you, you and your wife versus those dogs? Assume Now, there's one rule. You can't kill each other with a knife or burn down the forest. We can't kill well, the dogs, the, or we can't kill you know, you, each so, other. So the dogs go in a different direction from you, so you won't see those dogs. They okay. can't, part, can't hunt with you. So what are you and your wife going to be like after the end of that week versus how those dogs going to be? Well, my wife's going to be hangry. Um, we're probably going to be dead. Dogs are going to be fine. Yeah, dogs going to be fine. Yeah. You're going to be dehydrated. Um, you will, um, you if you don't kill, you know, you try to kill, you, you kill each other with a knife or you harm yourself drastically with the yeah with the knives uh-huh. and if, i won't get coronavirus apart, in that scenario you will not get the so that's coronavirus. a plus, um, that's a plus. <laughs> but now the dogs would be just fine because the dogs eat anything yes okay? um as, as you know you've probably seen dogs eat poop dogs eat their own poop and i mean it's probably not in the the, the major food categories but it's what they do so can you imagine this i've seen it oh i've seen it i've seen it way too many times <laughs> so imagine us on the african savannah Mm-hmm. Hundreds of thousands of years ago, and we don't have we don't have projectile weapons that can go more than ten yards. Okay, but we do. We see we see wild dogs, and we see cheetah, mm-hmm. and those those uh, predators are just running down big game. You know, maybe not maybe not giraffes, but gazelle. Okay, mm-hmm. they're running them down, and you're you're sitting there you're standing there with a bunch of your buddies, and you each have clubs. And you're watching those those cheetah and the dogs eat that gazelle. What are you going to do? I would hope to get in on the feast, but well, wild dogs and cheetah you could, but not with lions. So that's important. So the, the difference between a lion and a wild dog and wild dogs and cheetahs is that a lion makes the kill um, and then protects the kill. It may even drag the mm-hmm. kill back to the pride. Okay. Right. In fact, lion, the, the, the female, the lionesses go out hunting and they bring everything back to the pride. Whereas the cheetah has absolutely no defensive capability. A cheetah takes down the animal, they have it take a few bites, and then they take off. And wild dogs do fundamentally the same thing because the, the lions and other, other big animals will come in and push out the wild dogs. Okay. And so we, we, we likely became scavengers off of wild dogs and cheetahs. So back to the example of you being out in the woods with your wife, you could have used those dogs, but those dogs de- didn't need you. You could use them to be as being a scavenger. You know, the, the dogs would have killed some sort of bird and you could have taken a few bites at it or something like that. Right. Um, but so as a concept, 
dogs, they really didn't need us. And mm-hmm. Cheetah doesn't really need us either. Yeah, now I've read, I'm, I'm going to tell you something I've seen in, in the literature surrounding this topic, which is almost the direct opposite of the thing that you said. And I want to talk, mm-hmm. have a dialogue about it, which is that um, we very, mal- very well may have been the catalyst for dogs to come to us because we would kill big game. And mm-hmm. then the dogs would be attracted to that big game. Uh, and eventually we were able to realize that we could utilize those dogs to protect the kill that we, we made from predators uh, that could potentially take the kill from us. So have you seen that in the literature as well? I've seen that. It's called, it's called the garbage dump hypothesis. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that um, so we, we killed animals and then they came around and picked off our, our scraps. But we... But remember that the dogs and the cheaters were more per- proficient hunters of big game right. than we were. Mm-hmm. They were now, first. Okay, I've also read, and this is yeah. this is in regards to um, ancient uh, Native American tribes that, and I don't. This could be bullshit. This, but th- this is what I've I've read, and I also was told this by uh, uh, someone that lives in the radio quiet zone of West Virginia, and it was a, a Native American, and told and told me that his uh. His ancestors had done this. They would run down deer. They would, in other words, like, you know how we, we have ultra marathons in today's world where people mm-hmm. run 250 miles. Well, what they would do is you, you'd have a pack of, of Native Americans and they would literally, you know, find a herd of deer and they would run after one of them. And they, would run, and they wouldn't run fast. They wouldn't sprint. But they would just jog after the deer for days sometimes, for 12 hours, 24 hours at a time until the deer was so exhausted it would collapse. The San Bushmen do that in Africa now. Okay. Um, and, and so the, the deer can run very fast for a short distance, but they can't run for a long distance. Right. Whereas we have the ability to effectively run a marathon. But it's not it's not efficient for us to run down the deer and over this long period of time because we may or may not get it. We may get hurt in the process. Yeah. Um, and you might so have you, a lion you, stalking you as well. So You might have – exactly. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's not a very efficient way – to take down deer, to hunt, to hunt deer, although it is done. And the San Bushmen, have, they have mixed results. They will ultimately follow the the animal for days mm-hmm. until it acts. So um, it's not it's not the best way to do it. Well, there people until recent times have used cheetah to hunt. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's called horsing, and they do it in the Middle East. And what they do is they they, um, they steal cheetah cut. Um, kittens, I guess, cheetah kittens, and they they teach them to, to actually, they, the cheetah, cheetah naturally runs after the gazelle, but they can teach the cheetah to to take down the gazelle, and then when the they give a piece of the meat to the cheetah, the cheetah's good, because that's normally what a cheetah eats, and then they take the gazelle back to the camp, mm-hmm. and they can also, they've also taught the cheetahs to discriminate between male and female gazelle, okay? Okay. So that's so it's it's harvest it's managed harvesting of hunting. Mm-hmm. So very it's a very interesting concept. I believe that we did the same thing with dogs. Okay. okay. So so we we first you know the dogs took down the the dogs took out, down the gazelle, and then we 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 kicked them out, but we gave them some meat back, mm-hmm. and eventually the do- these wild dogs learned that if they cooperate with us. We're going to protect the meat that would otherwise be taken away by the lions. Right. And then what happened was then they also learned that they can go hunt and leave their pups with us. 
And by us protecting their pups, they can have greater packs and continue on as a breed. Okay. Mm -hmm. So that I believe that we became integral to the, the future of the dogs for its worldwide dispersal. But I don't believe that uh, we initially relied on the dogs. I believe we came to a partnership that we could protect the meat. And so the dog, the dog, the dog's pack made a kill. And normally that, you know, they, they take a few bites and um, the wolf, the bigger animals would kick them away. We could now fight, help them fight off those bigger animals. And so we could preserve the meat for days. And that's less stress and um, damage and you know harm to the dogs. Dogs can live longer. They can have more pups. Um, and they became, um, you know, we became part of the same pack. Right. Now, at the same time, we're talking 30,000, potentially 40,000 years ago. Right. Mm -hmm. At this same time, there's another very important thing happening on the planet which is that neanderthals are reaching the end of their existence right Correct. um why do you think it was that humans modern day form of humans us why do you think it was that we had domesticated or not domesticated but we could say came into a domestic partnership with dogs right we we, we benefited from each other's uh presence you could say why is it that that existed? Meanwhile, Neanderthals were still very much um, solo. N not just well, not just sure. in terms of their partnership with dogs, but in terms of mm -hmm. their partnership with other Neanderthals, they were pretty solo. I don't know if there's many examples of there being huge tribes of Neanderthals. Maybe I'm wrong, um, but they they were not huge. They were not huge tribes. No, they were they were family groups. Exactly. And so, yes. so do you think that that played a very important role in our survival and their demise? Absolutely. So let's let's go back to the places where we found the, the origin. Let's say that the current known places of these dogs, the Aswan Slohi, the Sahara, Canary Dogs, Canary Islands, Neanderthals hadn't gone into West North Africa. We probably domesticated dogs before we left Africa. And, and when would this have been? When did we leave Africa? 40,000 years ago. Okay. So it all ties into the same time period, the same period. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay. So we probably domesticated dogs before we left Africa, um, and we brought them with us, and we became alpha predators, and we outcompeted the Neanderthals. Now, have you ever done any big game hunting, like bow and arrow, thing like that? No, I would like to, but okay. I haven't. Okay, so I've done a little bit of bow hunting out here in Oregon. The toughest part of of bow hunting is not taking the shot at the animal. It's finding the animal after it dies because mm -hmm. it could walk. If you don't have a heart shot, you know, you get a lung shot or something, it could go for hours. If you have a dog, you can find that you can find that animal pretty quick. Yeah. Right. Um, it's actually in most states, actually all states, I believe it's illegal to hunt um, deer, elk and moose with a dog. Why? In some state, because it's not fair chase. Did you ever walk out into the woods and, you know, you walked by a bunch of deer and you didn't know, know it until they jumped out at you? Yeah, I live in Pennsylvania. Now New York. It happens all the time. Okay. Yeah. So if you had a dog with you, you would have known that those deer were ahead of you, you know, minutes before you even arrived. Sure. Because the dog would have smelled them hundreds of yards away. Mm -hmm. So it's not considered fair chase and it's illegal to hunt those animals with, with dogs. 
where in some states it is legal to hunt bear and cougar with dogs. Because there's no way you're going to get a cougar, unless it's accidental, I'm going to tell you, to get a cougar without a dog. And how they do hunt cougars with dogs is the dog runs them up a tree and then shooting with a pistol. Mm-hmm. Um, and bears, they, they, uh, they run open trees too. Okay. Cuts up. Um, because the, so we became, I believe we became alpha predators and more, um, better hunters than the Anathols when we arrived in Europe because we had dogs already. And if we didn't have dogs, if they, these dogs didn't come out of West North Africa, we tamed them. We, we became partners with them shortly after we arrived. And I mean, shortly within a few thousand years. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I'm sure you're going to get to this, but, uh, mm-hmm. you know, Neanderthals died, humans didn't. If humans did have a partnership with dogs, the, the question in my mind then becomes, um, what we know that there were some drastic changes in climate at that time period. And yes. we know that, or well, I shouldn't say we know, we hypothesize that some of those changes could have pushed Neanderthals to extinction. But then the, the natural mm-hmm. question arises, why not the humans too? You got a few questions there, a few points. First one is that Neanderthals actually never went extinct. They're just part of us now. So 4% of Europeans, I'm sorry, the 4% of the DNA within Europeans is of Neanderthal. Right. That's due to interbreeding, but uh, um, like the. the... But as, as, as unique, distinct species, yes, they're extinct. Okay. Exactly. So, and then you have some, you're asking about climate change. So the last glacial maximum was 25, 26,000 years ago. Yes. Okay. It's yes. Okay. And, um, and before that, it was a the, and the it became warm about you know fourteen thousand years ago, right? Yes, um, fifteen fourteen. And about thirty about thirty six thousand years ago, there's also a, a a warming period. Now, when we're talking about we're talking about that as in Europe, whereas in Africa it was a little different. Mm-hmm. And w- w- as astronomers, you know, myself an amateur, we have some concept of precession. Procession is that the the Earth spins like a top. Yep. Okay. As it as it spins around, um, it wobbles up and down. And when you wobble in one, so it's wobbling in and closer and further from the sun. Mm-hmm. Okay. Which creates the um, warming and cooling periods around the world. Okay. Right. The and angle this, of the hy- angle of the tilt is is changing. The angle of tilt. Right. So there's hypothesis that that. Um, point to the lot the, the glaciation to precession okay. mm-hmm. um, and then what also happens is that it, it all it shifts the the monsoons out of Africa to move north so about until about six thousand years ago the Sahara was you know like it is in South Africa right now there are elephants there are crocodiles um, it was it was um a um, um, a wooded environment. Right. So you, historically, you, this region wasn't uh, like an arid desert type of environment. Exactly. Okay. And so we have to look. We have that to think, clears uh, up. That clears up my concern. Yeah, that's that's an important concept because we think of, you know, modern man emerging out of in, in Europe and created all this great art and invented all these sort of things. But modern man had actually done fairly well in in the greater Sahara region mm-hmm. before we arrived in Africa, we just don't have too much evidence of it because it was what that, the evidence was under, became underwater and then it became part of the sand. Right. Through the, through the, the changing climates. Um, so, 
So as a concept, we have these going back to dogs. Um, I believe that the dogs were first domesticated in Europe. I'm sorry, in, in West North Africa, but I'm okay that they invested. Um, they were domesticated shortly after we arrived in Europe, and that they came from a, the DNA suggests that they came from a common ancestor of the gray wolf, but not from the gray wolf itself. So this mother canid, of which we actually don't know if it had upward ears or her downward ears. We have absolutely no idea uh, because the DNA doesn't te- doesn't tell us that. And it's possible that one of these these canids in these cave images could be the mother canid. We just don't know mm-hmm. because the we have no we have no ev- evidence of it. And going back to your concept of the Neanderthals, I believe that we we became alpha predators in partnership with the dogs which helped them to, they helped us to take down animals. We helped to protect the meat and them to help with the, um, the breeding or the, the, the continuance of their, their species. And the, the cheetah is a really good example of this whole thing because cheetah, I said that we, we, we used to steal cheetah kittens. We had to steal cheetah kittens because cheetahs don't naturally breed in captivity. Mm-hmm. It's it's they don't, it's for, in fact so if you if the if the your local zoo has a breeding cheetah it's like makes news because it just doesn't happen very much so it's possible the reason why we have dogs as our at, at home versus the cheetah is that we could actually breed the dogs at home which we couldn't breed cheetahs okay takes us back to the cats so your house cats do breed of course do breed in captivity they breed just anywhere they could possibly breed. But cheetahs don't do that. It, these sultans in the Middle East that, that had cheetahs for, for this coursing, for hunting exercise, they had hundreds of cheetahs walking around their their um, their homes, just like people have do- dogs or cats today. And so this example of the – an example of, or actually of evidence of why dogs – how we became partners with dogs when they had the same ability as the cheetah – and we have an experience of hunting with a cheetah is that we couldn't breed the cheetah. Okay. Um, and so it makes an, it, it's a comparison animal that it's a parallel animal that it breaks apart at the point that we could breed them, which may be how or why the dogs decided to continue partnership with us because they could have just walked away. I see. Um, That's interesting. Now, in the case of the to, to draw. That's back- not my idea. Just to let you know that. That's not my idea. Okay. Uh, do you want to give, like, is this an idea that's being, uh, pioneered by people in the field of, of archaeology? No, not at all. There was a fellow, there's a fellow named George Schaller, it's Dr. George Schaller. Okay. And he helped me with identifying the, the animals in the book. And George Schaller is the foremost wild, uh, field wildlife biologist in the world. He is the, the mentor of Jane Goodall and everybody you could possibly man- imagine from the world of, of wildlife biology. Uh-huh. And so he's sort of unquestionable. About 40, George is now in his mid-80s, about 40 years ago, he did a study with a, a British anthropologist, and they studied this question of the of the cheetah and the dogs. And when I was working on the cave images with George, um, identifying the animals, he said, he told basically told me the story I just told you. Mm-hmm. And he talked about projectile points, and they couldn't we couldn't throw them very far uh, for, for hundreds of thousands of years. And then the, the cheetah was this master predator, and he used to, he used to he, um, he used to track down cheetah and dogs 
wild dogs to see if he could steal the, the food from them. He didn't actually steal it from them, mm-hmm. but he, he did that exercise, and that was published in his paper with the, with the anthropologist 40 years ago. And so when I brought it into my work, I sort of it brought it back to life, but I can't claim credit for the cheetah idea because right. it's a darn good one. <laughs> do anthropologists still do crazy shit like that? Because I hear uh, like what you just said, tracking cheetahs and dogs and trying to take their food. Um, there's another one in the case of the North Sentinel Island. I don't know mm-hmm. if we talked about that last time we were here. Uh, do you know what that is? No. North Sentinel Island is this island uh, in the Bay of Bengal, and mm-hmm. it's where an, an ancient prehistoric tribe lives and has lived mm-hmm. uncontacted for m- a thousand years, maybe more, mm-hmm. um, on this island, North Sentinel Island. And it, it was in the news like two years ago. I think it was in the news last year. Because some Christian missionary went there trying to convert them and he got murdered. You know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. Have you? Yeah, have I you remember that. Yeah. Okay. Well, in the 70s, I believe it was, there was an anthropologist who went there and tried contacting them. And unlike the missionary, he didn't get killed. And he was actually able to, uh, to sort of lure them in with pineapple. He would offer them pineapple, I think it was. And sorry for people who are anthropologists if I'm, if I'm wrong or if I'm butchering the story. I think this is how it goes. And he was actually able to learn a little bit about their culture and a little bit about their language. And it, it man, it, I, I feel like I don't hear these crazy anthropologist stories anymore. I feel like they don't happen. I don't know. Maybe well, I'm not. Get hooks back on. Get hooks back on. He could probably tell you a few. So we're traveling around the world now. And we, in fact, have dogs around the world. And mm-hmm. it's believed that there's mo- there are actually multiple origins of the dogs. So the Chinese are saying that they invented dogs. Of course, and they're the saying that. Are saying they invented dogs. Okay, and there probably were multiple origins of the dogs with the same concept as I, as I'm proposing. But they traveled around the world. Wherever we went, dogs went too, and that's why we have a population of dogs around the world. Mm-hmm. Now, there's also this interesting astronomical phenomenon of dogs. What is Cirrus known as? Yes, it's it's known as the 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 dog star um, because this is what I always learned, um, and I'm curious how this traces back into mythology of, of other cultures. This is what I learned in, co- in a college classroom in introductory astronomy, um, is that the dog is the, the Sirius, is, is a Canid Major, I believe is the constellation, um, mm-hmm. and it is meant to be leading the way for Orion, leading the way through the night sky. That was the, I was taught by a, uh, someone who has deep roots in Native American culture, um, my, my professor at the time, and that's what he taught us that tribes in Pennsylvania believed, um, ancient ancient uh, Native American tribes in the Pennsylvania, New York region, uh, that's what they had believed, that this guide star was meant to guide the Orion, the, the warrior, through the night sky. And that's actually pretty, that's pretty darn close. It would, so yes... In some Native American traditions, Cirrus versus Canis Major, Cirrus is the dog star or the Canid. It could also be a wolf. Mm-hmm. And among the Chinese, uh, Cirrus is a wolf. In, in some indigenous tribes in Australia, Cirrus is a dog. In the Greater Sahara region, it's Adi, the dog star. And of course, mm-hmm. in the Greek tradition, it's Cirrus is a star within the constellation Canis Major. We can go around the world. And we can find Cirrus as this dog star. Based on everything you know about dogs, animals, and astronomy, does Cirrus look like a dog? 
No. No, not at all. No. Now, you can you can go- try to trace rough uh, <laughs> a rough constellation around it, and it, and many people uh, many people in the astronomy community, the ast- astronomical community, consider Sirius to actually be the the eye of the dog. Um, mm-hmm. And you can try, but I I don't think I think honestly I think in all of the sky, in all of the night sky, the only constellation that actually looks like anything is Orion. That's really like the the epitome of a constellation that actually looks. Looks like, like the thing in. you describe it to be. And you can go around the world. You can find Orion as a man, right. um, a man in the sky. Yep. And some of the same countries, continents that I just re- su- suggested, you can also find Ursa Major as a legged animal and typically a bear mm-hmm. um, among the same places. But it also can be a reindeer and, and, or, or so, some others. So, you we, know, Bernie, I have an interesting uh, point to make and, and maybe I don't know if you've looked into this or if you you could look into it is different cultures look at Orion differently right some of them yes, look at it that's correct it's a is a warrior with a bow or yep. it's a warrior with a mace and a shield yep. and I'm curious if you can trace back uh, which cultures give it a bow and which culture cultures give it a you know like a long range weapon versus a, a something to bludgeon something with and if you and if there's a relationship between how cold, how the cultures thought about dogs, um, well, we can do better than that. We're we're okay. we're gonna we're moving in that direction. So if we have this, if we have Sirius as a dog all around the world, I'll argue that Sirius does not look like a dog. Orion looks like a, a man, and um, and Ursa Major looks like a legged animal. That so people could naturally find Orion and Ursa Major as those two, but people aren't naturally going to find Sirius as a dog. Therefore. Cirrus came from one common location. Make sense? Yes. So one original source. And we actually find a dog in the place of Cirrus. I'm sorry, it, it, a dog relative in the same rel, in the relative position to the constellation or the man of Orion and two Paleolithic cave images. Okay. Okay. Now, okay, so this, this is a, this is another thing that I, I often ask is like, are are you saying that? Sirius and the constellation that it's in don't look like a dog in terms of where I'm looking at the sky or in terms of no light pollution at all, because I don't even know what the constellation would look like <laughs> in that setting. Right. So you can you can open up a dozen astronomy books looking at the of Canis Major, the constellation, and every one of them is going to have it with a different dog. Whatever the dog, whatever dog the artist had next to his side when he drew the picture. Mm-hmm. OK, so yeah. it doesn't look like a dog. OK, OK. But fair. what we do. What we do have in the, the Pelothic record, both in the Gorm's Cave and the Gallery of Discs, is we have a human character holding a club. And yes. behind him is a dog. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if you can actually, in, in, these, in these human characters, you can actually work out some of the stars for Orion. Yeah. And um, what, it's a relative position of the dog. So I would argue that the reason that we have... Cirrus as the so-called dog star around the world is that it came from this common origin on the Iberian Peninsula, as we have depicted in this cave art. And that's where it remained as the dog as the dog star. Um, and on, on this one on one image in the Gorm's cave, we actually have two Aswan slowly they're they're next to each other, kind of back, kind of one's hidden behind, half hidden behind the other. And on its flank, it actually has a star. Mm-hmm. And that it is the correct relative position at that time. You can start in Night Pro Seven for the constellation for for um, Cirrus 
relative to the other, the other stars in Orion. Um, so it creates a, we, we have an astronomical history that ties all these myths back to one point, which makes sense because Native Americans came down about 15,000 years ago. They were in Berengia for about 22,000 years ago, um, which is 10, 10 to 12,000 years before, I'm sorry, after this cave art was made and the earlier evidence. And so the you had 12,000 years for this, these astronomical traditions with the dogs to travel across Siberia um, into Berengia and down into North America. Plenty of time to do it. Mm -hmm. And they're fundamentally the, the, same, the same people. So yes, Cirrus, Cirrus is a dog. And not, not all cases, Orion is a man. For example, in, Ch in China, Orion is not a man, but Cirrus is still a canid, a wolf. They kept Cirrus even when they dropped Orion. Okay, is there evidence that, that um, you know, in these cave paintings that depict Sirius as a dog, and and do they also depict Orion as a hunter or a man? So in both, in two images, we actually have Orion, not just as a man, but we have a man holding a club, and we have this, we have certain stars around him that suggest, that actually not suggest, but they're, he marks off uh, Rigel, uh, Rigel Seif, and um, Betelgeuse. Yep, we almost um, lost Betelgeuse. It, yeah, Betelgeuse. We thought it was going away. <laughs> so he actually marks off a few of the significant stars to tie us back to, so we know that it is that is in fact the constellations. Okay. So then, why is the dog kept and the man is dropped in Chinese culture? Um, because in Chinese culture they went towards an agricultural society and away from the hunter. Mm -hmm. Which goes back to your question of the, the shield versus the bow. So in, in the Greek version, in the Greek Orion, they became more interested with, with Orion with the sword mm -hmm. and the, the shield yeah. than as a hunter because they had moved towards that agricultural society. Mm -hmm. You don't need a, I mean, you could use a bow for warfare, but in, in Greek warfare, the, the the sword and the, the shield were more important items. Yeah. So social social constructs, changes in, you know, whether we're hunter-gatherers or we're fighting wars. Yes. The history of constellations is in of itself a very interesting, uh, like, interesting thing to study because it, it does teach you a lot about, uh, it, t it teaches you a lot about the way in which humans looked at their surroundings. Because mm -hmm. we do tend to name or at least depict constellations as, you know, whatever is profound in our lives. Um, that Correct. is that is very evident when you look around uh, constellations, the names of them and, and the way cultures depict them. So th that is a very interesting topic in its own right. So constellations are really a projection of what ha what's on this world. We project our psyche into the night sky. Because there are no bears in the night sky, there are no people and there are no dogs. We project the world around us into our night sky. And what, what is the social norm at that time? Which is also takes us to this, this night sky and the, the afterlife. Okay. Mm -hmm. And um, so what is that? We have this concept that all dogs go to heaven. I don't believe that is a, I don't think that's a new idea. Um, I think that goes back for a very long period of time. And the most perf some of the evidence is in Native American traditions, we find people that are buried with their dogs. 
and not just discriminately buried, they're sort of they're buried under their right arm or something like that. Um, so it's it is um, it's uniquely done. It's not at random. Yes. Um, now, does that have implications for for afterlife? Right, because in the case of the Egyptians, you had pharaohs being uh, you know buried with money. Was there a mm-hmm. concept of of the dog sort of serving as your defender beyond life? So we don't have that. We don't have Chinese traditions or mythology that tells us that. But the 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 um, the burials suggest that. And you you bring going back to the Egyptians in the catacombs of Anubis at Saqqara, there are more than eight million mummified dogs. Think really, eight million. The eight million mummified dogs. You have to have puppy mills to come up with eight million dated to dogs. when? Dated to when? So we're talking um, about four thousand years ago. Eight million dogs. Eight million mummified. How do you count eight million mummified dogs? Is you actually have to you measure off the chambers themselves, and then you you know you come up with a five meter square and count in those, and you multiply it from there. Eight million mummified dogs. That, that is insanity. Okay, so in the in the Egyptian Book of the Dead, the dog the Anubis guides the deceased through his or her tests to enter the afterlife. So people were mummified, having these dogs mummified for them, so that they would be there when they entered into the afterlife. Okay, I had to write that down because that, my friend, is a social media clip. Eight million. Eight million mummified, mummified dogs. dogs. That and it's. it's, it's Sakara is spelled S-A-Q-Q-A-R-A, and the author on that one was uh, Nicholson PT 2015. So if anyone wants to look it up, it, but people can just people it, can just Google. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Eight million mummified dogs. You're not going to find many. You're going to find what you, you're looking for if you uh, yeah, if you search that. You can't make that one up. Yeah. Um. Uh, yeah. That is a so, uh, that man. That like boggles my mind. So this is in a, a catacombs in Egypt. In Egypt, yes. And so what was the idea that these dogs would... Now, I, this is, you know, a tough question because, you know, records have been lost, which is so unfortunate. Mm-hmm. Um, but was the concept that these dogs would serve as, um, you know, aids or protectors in the, the afterlife of Egyptians? Okay. So going back to what I said earlier was that in the Egyptian Book of the Dead, the dog deity Anubis guides the deceased to enter the afterlife. So you can't get into the afterlife unless you're buddies with Anubis. And how you become buddies with Anubis is you bring your own dog mummy with you. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, let's ask... There's, a, there's another really interesting question here. And the interesting question is that I know from my, my own reading that we that e, the Egyptians did not mummify every person, right? Um, you, you really only got mummified if you were, we'd say, a high class Correct. or, a, right. you know... Um, you were important in some way, but so, so can you, do you know maybe, or can you off the top of your head, can you give us a, a, a rough number of how many human mummies we find, uh, mummified humans in, in Egyptian catacombs and tombs? I have no idea, but I'm going to guess it's in the thousands at the most. So nowhere near millions, right? Dogs, then people were mummified. They were, they, without the individual themselves becoming mummified, they had the dog mummified to help them into the afterlife. Yeah. They also did, um, they had, uh, the same vaults had thousands of ibis, falcon, and baboon, baboon mummies. So without uh, being, 
So without being an archaeologist or an anthropologist, I can safely say that the Egyptian culture may very well have held dog lives above, say, your average human life. Well, I, I wouldn't say that. I would say that they had puppy mills, that they were breeding dogs to mummify them, and everybody had their name on that dog. At least maybe they didn't have their name on the dog, but they were associated with that dog, so that when they did die, that was their their fast pass into the afterlife. But why mummify that many dogs and not mummify the humans? Because, because oh, because um, it's a lot more work to mummify a human after the human dies than dogs coming out of puppy mills. Fair enough. We got human yeah. mills going on now. It, it, it's pump- economics. Yeah, we're pumping these babies out. Um, anyway. Interesting, right? Eight million. That's a big number. Yeah. Blows my mind. <laughs> when I first saw it, I looked at and I, I said, is that real? I found yeah. all the sources. Count the, the zeros. Count, yeah, I know. I do it. Eight million mummified dogs. Do, so, now, so I feel like concept, that should be like shouted at the rooftop. Why have I never heard of that? Yeah. Because um, you know, you don't follow Egyptology. It just it seems like I I'm when was this uh when when was uh, this two thousand fifteen? I saw it in two thousand well the two thousand twelve and two thousand fifteen. I saw the papers. Jeez, and I just never heard yeah. of it, and I was so engrossed. Well, it was in, in live science. science. It was out. There. It was in live science in all those places. Okay, fair enough. Okay, so let's let's say that we as humans we project our psyche into the cosmos. And that we project, we see Orion as a man and we see um, Cirrus as a dog. And that, so it's as above, so below is a concept, mm-hmm. right? Okay. Um, so maybe our afterlife is in the heavens. And we hope to have, that, or we, we expect to have Cirrus, the dog star, with us in that afterlife. Which goes back to the indigenous story you talked about in the New York, Pennsylvania area. Of people with their dogs. Mm-hmm. Okay. Although they were running, actually, they were running down deers. So it actually goes back to Native, some Native American traditions where they did bury their dogs, one individual dogs, with under their with them and under their arm. So all dogs going to heaven is not a new idea, because heaven is a projection of this of our earthly world into the cosmos. Okay. That's where we're all going. We're, we all become stardust. We all get swept up into the into the the breath of the cosmos. We do. Absolutely true. That's a comforting idea, though. In my mind, that's a comforting idea. Like I kind of like that. You know that that for me, I'm the type of person that doesn't like to. I don't like open ended, right? I'm so much more comfortable knowing the the result. Unfortunately, life doesn't work that way. Um, and that is why. The universe should, for people like me, is the absolute most perfect thing because you know what's going to happen. You know you're all going to the same place. You're all made of the same stuff. Energy, you're made of it. Um, and eventually you're going to return to it. So fascinating idea to interject. Among ancient Egyptians, they believed that the that Orion was a physical or metaphysical place that they went to in the afterlife. And so as, as a concept, we... If you believe in this that metaphysical space, and we all end up into the heavens with a dog, but not a cat. So maybe that's a comforting thought. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It is a comfort. I don't want cats <laughs> on me. Um, I have an. I have a weird. I've developed this weird allergy to cats, and mm-hmm. it's weird because my mom had cats 
my entire life. Always had cats. And now ever yeah. since I, I, I moved out um, over the past eight years-ish, I've developed this weird, like, I don't get it. I don't know. The body is a, is a weird place. But Bernie Taylor. So the, the amount of dogs we have today is like kind of perplexing, right? You can go on like any uh, sort of um, shelter type website if you want to adopt a dog, um, which I encourage people to do. And you can see dozens of breeds of dogs just like at your local shelter. I mean, mm-hmm. you could you good luck finding two dogs that are the same breed, right? In one in mm-hmm. one given location. So mm-hmm. how how does this like how does a pug come into existence? Why good do question. we have, very good question? Why do we have that? And I should have talked about that. Yeah, oh, that is that is a great question that I probably should have started a little earlier ago. So we talked about. The Aswan Slohi being in the Greater Sahara region. The Canary Dog, this huge, massive type animal in the mm-hmm. Canary Islands, and the um, the Swiss Mountain Dog, in and the um, the Majorcan um, Shepherd Dog, the Balearica Islands. These animals are completely different. In the Aswan Slohi has is a lean dog, greyhound type, long legged. Because if you're if you need a dog to hunt gazelle. And the Sahara, um, the canary dog's not going to do it. That big old mastiff, the canary dog would be 80, 90 pounds. Mm-hmm. It's a guard dog. It's a fighting dog. Um, it ain't going to run down any gazelle. Well, the, the reason is likely that the Aswan exists is that it was like that before we engaged with it, with the dog. Right. Okay. And so just like, if you can look in Paleolithic cave art, you can find um all kinds of different horses. And some of the horse breeds that you recognize today, they may or may not be the same breed, but they kind of look about the same. But you have you have short and stumpy horses. You have these long-legged horses that look like, um, you know, Arabian horses. You have all these different breeds of horses, but we didn't actually breed horses until five or 6,000 years ago. So horses naturally evolved in their surroundings, in their, um, in their climates, based on what was efficient for the horses. And I believe the same thing happened with the dogs, that there were a a, a range of species, maybe 12 species of dogs that naturally became what they are. Um, And then what we did was we started mixing the breeds or we we, we mixed breeds, but when we, we went into new climates, we sorted out the dogs that were better for us um, in those places Mm -hmm. in the same, same way that we do with horses today. So why do we have a pug? It's because there was a long time ago, there was something like a pug that we then defined down to be more like that, that breed. But yeah, pugs but... don't come from canary dogs, okay? This 80-pound monster mm-hmm. um, for, for hunting and, and guarding. Um, so, so these just like horses, and we have the, we have the evidence of all these different breeds of horses – and they're not saddle broken or anything like that. And we have no evidence that we didn't breed horses prior to five or six thousand years ago. So they naturally evolved just like every other animal. And just as Darwin would say. Um, and so, yes, we have a wide range of species, breeds of dogs because they naturally they evolved in their natural environment to become them. And then we started mixing and matching. And then we started pulling what was good for us. They also kept interbreeding back with wolves. And that's why we have Arctic type dogs. Um, and because a, a canary dog or an Aswan Slohi is to- re- completely remote from a husky, mm-hmm. um, the 
the Aslan sloe he has little to no hair. Um, it couldn't survive in the Arctic. But if you mixed an Aswan dog with a, you know, a Siberian wolf, you could have an interesting, you know, fast moving furry dog, um, heavy hair dog. So I believe that, which is completely distant from what anybody would have thought earlier before they saw these cave images so far back in time, is that we do have distinct breeds more than 30,000 years ago, which goes back to Skolkin's work that he says at least 27,000 years ago, we had a separation of the dog and the wolf. But it was Taylor. actually probably longer than that. Bernie Taylor, this is this is interesting because it makes me think of something that I think about quite often. Um, and that is that when you look at dogs, okay, let me give you an example for humans. Okay. We're going to offend some people. Well, I will, you can, you can exclude yourself. Um, <laughs> when you look at humans, like if you're ever in a line at Starbucks, right. And there's some lady in there and she's, you know, 45 years old and she's driving a Range Rover and she's got inch long nails and she's got $300, a $300 haircut. And you could just look at this person and you could say, or if you want to, a guy too. I don't want to be sexist. Every gender is yeah. included here. You can just look at a certain person and, you're, and you think you've gotten comfortable. You know, like if we were in the wild right now, you would yeah. you would have a tough time. You'd have a tough go of things. You know, dogs are the exact same way in my brain. When I look at a little pug or like a mm. chihuahua, I think that dog like if 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 everything broke down if the coronavirus kills everything every person <laughs> and the dogs have to fend for themselves i do not foresee a pug coming out on top what i do foresee coming out on top are dogs that i associate more primely with i would say uh with with that whatever the animal was that broke off from or that that um you know evolved simultaneously with the wolf that animal, whatever dog I can associate closer with that animal is the animal that I think that's a dog. That's like a primal dog. These other dogs are like human creations. They've they've been created in an environment right. where there's comfort. And because they were created in an environment where there's comfort, they are comfortable. They wouldn't survive in an environment where the comfort doesn't exist. But if you look at a Siberian husky, you think that thing could murder me. Like if that thing right. wanted to, it could murder. If I look at a German Shepherd, I think. That dog, if it decided to murder me, if it wanted to, if it just said, I'm, I'm going to kill Brendan today, it could do that. You know, um, a pug, I could kick it like a football for 70 yards and then I, and then everything would be fine. And sometimes I want to do that when I see a pug, Bernie, if I'm being honest, me and pugs, we don't like each other. Okay. I don't like the way they look. I don't like that. They can't breathe. Get better noses. I don't know what you have to do, but breathe better. Do, do you see my point here though? It's like exactly. Um, there's so a, pugs wouldn't exist. Pug, right. What ha would happen is pugs would interbreed with other dogs, and they would they'd just be a new breed. They'd be a breed that could dig underground, a breed that could hide. If we took all these Paleolithic these images of dogs in Paleolithic caves, and we put it kind of can meld them all together mm -hmm. you know, through animation, it would look like a Finnish Spitz. A Finnish Spitz is you know about the size of a, a German Shepherd. It's got a bit of hair. It's it's a it's a dog that can run, um, and that would be the 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 ultimate or the, perhaps even that that original dog, because um, they all seem to come about that these 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 dogs these cave images they're not little puggy dogs 
And the largest of them is really the canary dog, which is a really, it's a huge dog. Yeah. Now I um, should ask, Bernie, you don't own a pug, do you? No, I don't. Oh, good. I had a Vizsla. Can I tell you my dog story? Yeah. Because we should always kind of work, end up on a good dog story, just like when I, when I was in Beijing and go down to the, the bar and the ABC, CBS and NBC, they would, they would bet on, you know, how would this news end in a, a cat or dog story. Mm-hmm. So I had a Vizsla. And his name is Wukong, which is a Chinese name. And it comes after Sun Wukong, which is the, the, the monkey king in Chinese mythology. But that's irrelevant to the story. Okay. Um, so my dog, he died ultimately about 18 years old. I had to put him down. And for dog years, that's for relative to human, that'd be like a human living 150 or something. Okay? Mm-hmm. It's like a, it's an ancient dog. Yeah. And when he was like six months old, I used to hunt him. We used to hunt pheasant. Okay. And one day, my, my buddy and I, we were up in the, the hills in Washington um, above the Columbia Gorge. Mm-hmm. And it was probably like mid-November or so. And we're going off in, into the fields in this in, late in the day. And there's this older man and his, and his wife coming coming out. And they got one dog. And, and the woman's in tears. And their dog had actually, um, the dog was an English setter, that um, Terry, that disappeared. And they had spent the last few hours looking for their dog, the English setter, mm-hmm. Terry. And they had looked everywhere. And they saw cougar tracks because, you know, cougar could take a dog. Like I, I, when I was elk hunting once, I found the head of a, uh, like the skull of a, of a cane, obviously canid. I took it to a vet and the, the vet told me that it was a uh, wiener dog, a dachshund, dachshund. Mm-hmm. And um, I still have it some here. Um, but anyway, back to the story. So she thought a cougar took, took, the, took the dog. And uh, so we, so they went back and, you know, she's in tears and their dog was like 12 or 13, getting near the age, the age. And um, this is not how they wanted to end. So we go off and we're hunting. We got a bunch of, bunch of pheasants and in the tall grass. And my dog was like a, like a really champion hunter. It was a big Vesla too. And as we're, as we're, we're going back to the car, my dog just dashed off and dogs aren't supposed to dash off when you're hunting because that's not how it works. Right. So mine dashes off and we, we follow, we follow him over to, and he's, he's pointing down this big old well, an open well, mm-hmm. an open well. And so I pull him back. His dog's not supposed to be pointing down the well. And I don't my dog falling down the well. And then he actually breaks free from me. First time in his life he ever did that. And uh, he, he showed that I mean, he, he was in command. He was making a decision. And he goes back and he points down the well because that's what Vesla, Vesla's our pointing dog. Mm-hmm. And we go look down the well and the dog Terry was down there. The English setter. So we, we look down. We see, no, he's alive, and he's you know he's, he's walking around in circles or that type of thing. <clears throat> so I so I hold my dog so he doesn't go down the well. My buddy climbed down the well and he took out the dog, um, the, the English setter, and we found the landowner who knew the other the other party, and they returned um, the dog to them. And you know how stories get out, right? As they do. Mm-hmm. You know, my dog was written up in all kinds of dog magazines and bit of a hero gal. Drove up from California to do his portrait. And so what's your good dog story, Brendan? I don't have any good dog stories, I don't think. When I was a kid, I was afraid of Rottweilers, so I got that going for me. Um, this weird thing happened, Bernie, in the world. I don't know if you remember, when when you were a kid, what was like the fierce dog? Like every, every, every generation has like a dog they're afraid of, I feel like. What was yours? Um, do you have one? No. I feel like for the new, for like the the gen, what's the ones after millennial? Gen Z? For them, it's the Pitbull. For, mm-hmm. for me, it was the Rottweiler. And everyone was afraid of these dogs. And 
and uh you know they, they would always have pretty sketchy people that own them always like a guy who doesn't have a good <laughs> fence a guy whose fence always falls down um yeah. always would own these dogs um yeah. but no my my parents never had a dog i always hated like i always hated dog okay here's my thing bernie if you wake up in the middle of the night and you have to take a piss and you're walking it's dark in your house if you trip over your dog and you could kill it by tripping over it it's not a dog bernie it's not yeah. a dog it's a fake dog that's a uh-huh. that what of all the dogs that you've seen in cave art and that you could trace back to an actual lineage of dogs are any of them like what's the smallest one the spitz dog and how big is it it'd be about the size of a um a big cat yes like a house big house cat. yes that's how it should yeah. be a dog if your dog cannot murder you in your sleep then you need to get a new dog that's my rule that's the rule i came up with yeah um so i don't have any good dogs but i want a dog real bad the problem is you live in an apartment can't have dogs or they put limits on them they put you know they want those little dogs they want pugs they don't want you to get a saint bernard they want you to get a pug they don't want a newfoundland um so yeah but ideally bernie i would own a dog uh Mm -hmm. my wife had a a saint bernard when she was a little girl um she had a saint bernard that she grew up with and the thing was like um the most obedient dog in the world and mm-hmm. she could walk with it down the street and she could just lay its leash on the dog's back and not even hold the leash and it would never leave uh never leave her side and it's that to me and the reason I, I have that on my mind is because i was driving the other day and i saw a little girl walking i, I think it was a german shepherd walking a german shepherd in exactly the same way probably a little girl maybe like five years old walking with her dad and this dog and the dog was just attached to her as bit like bigger than her, but attached to her and it wasn't going anywhere. And you could sense it like you could see on the dog. The dog was not going anywhere. Um, and it's fascinating. And I wonder what role in the same way that we played a role in nurturing pups. I wonder what role dogs played in nurturing humans. Um, it's interesting. Well, they protected us. So they became the, you know, the alarms. Uh, the, the predator alarms mm-hmm. for uh, to protect us from wolves, lions, bears, and everything else out there. So we were protecting their food. They could hear um, predators' um, danger coming from afar off, and also from perhaps other humans and Neanderthals. So, what like social qualities do you think he, the human race developed due to our relationship with dogs? Right. This is a because we do we are not necessarily as tribal as our as our counterparts as the neanderthals were we're very much we're more open and not only are we open but we're very much open to um to other people people that look different you know the media will tell you that that america is is the most racist place in the world um but in reality almost every human is pretty accepting of almost every other human if as long as you keep religion out of the the mix um religion has historically done some bad things in that regard but if you can keep that out of the mix, like we're a pretty accepting bunch. And I wonder what role um, I wonder what role our history with 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 um, dogs has enabled that to be the case. That's a great question. And I actually have an answer for that. And the answer comes from not. So um, among Native Americans, they often don't distinguish between dogs and wolves. OK. Um, I'm not saying all of them don't, okay? Mm-hmm. Um, but and in the Ojibwe, in the the Ojibwe are, are First Nations people in the 
in the greater Great Lakes region. And they recognize Orion as the winter maker, a man, and they recognize Cirrus as a dog. Okay. Mm-hmm. Um, and they historically wanted to bring the um, wolves back. Okay. And there is a, a declaration, a wolf proclamation in 2012. And this answers your question. And this is the proclamation. I'm going to read it to you. We understand wolves to be our educators, teaching us how, teaching us about hunting and working together in extended family units. Wolves exemplify perseverance, guardianship, intelligence, and wisdom. Moreover, in our creation story, we are taught that the dog is a brother to the original man. The two travel together throughout the earth, naming everything. Once this task was completed, the creator said that the two had to separate paths, but indicated indicated that whatever happened to one would happen to the other. How's that an answer for, to your question? It's an excellent question, or it's an excellent answer. Now I have, and a, that and that yeah. dog is is um their dog. Actually, it's the wolf. This is the wolf. Is the constellation or the, the star Cirrus? Mm-hmm. And um, so we learn guardianship. Um, Protecting family units, perseverance mm-hmm. from wolves or canids. Yeah. Now I have a an interesting question, and like if you have a dog, people who own dogs and people who own cats, prefer preferably people who are listening who have owned both in their lifetime. You can. There's a very vivid difference between the two, right? There's like a sense of loyalty that you get from a dog that you don't get from a cat. Like most Correct. cats. You don't get really that sense of, of bonding. You mm-hmm. you almost get the sense that if they were bigger, like if they were, uh, you know, the size of a big cat, then mm-hmm. chances are if they got too hungry one day, you'd be you'd be dead. Whereas, you know, you there are how many millions of people own German Shepherds? They never mm-hmm. really eat people. They never say, oh, I'm hungry. <laughs> eat people. How many people own St. Bernard's? They don't eat people. How many? You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Um, so... I'm curious if if this uh, this coevolution has aided dogs into being something that cats aren't, which is you know real companions. Mm-hmm. How long have we had domesticated cats? Thousands of years. Thousands, but not tens of thousands. Not tens of thousands, yes, thousands of years. And do you think that that so plays actually, a role? I'm, I'm gonna, I don't believe cats are actually domesticated, but we've had them in our homes for thousands of years. Okay, and when I you say you don't believe, believe they're domesticated, domesticated. Uh, what do you what do you mean by that? Do you mean exactly what I'm saying that they don't Exactly what you're saying, yes. Okay. That they're not really bonded with us. They're just you know, they, they're just like happy that we're feeding them and if we stopped happy. feeding them, then it would be they us go versus them. Something else. Yeah. Yeah. And a lot of remember that a lot of cats so we you know people have cats in their homes, apartments and so and but a lot of people have cats on farms, and those cats never enter the home. Yeah, I saw that a lot when I was uh, going to college in Pennsylvania because my wife and I had a had a place. Uh, we lived out in the country, and the farmers near us would have would have cats, a lot of mm-hmm. like a couple cats, and they would kill mice, mm-hmm. and they would kill rats, and they would yep. chase away groundhogs, and they would chase away uh, raccoons and whatever possums, um, and they were great protectors. But they weren't protecting for the sake of the farmer. They They're were, territorial. Yeah. 
Exactly. exactly. Whereas the dog became an alpha partner protector of our common pack. Yep. So you That's heard it here first, people. Cats suck. Dogs are awesome. <laughs> well, that was a fun one, Brendan. We we'll have to do it again sometime. Yeah, we will. We will do it again. Um, if you don't mind, Bernie, before you leave, tell people where to find you. My webpage is beforeorion.com. Lots of images of dogs and videos and, and others. And uh, cave images, do a lot of astronomy work. Um, the first astronomers going back tens of thousands of years and all the constellations where they come from. I'm on all the social media under Before Orion. And uh, tune in. Look forward to having, you know, join the exploration with yeah. Brendan and I. Thank you for listening, people. Appreciate it. And we're, uh, we're out. Thank you for listening, people. Please, before you leave, rate the show five stars on Apple Podcasts. Type Pugs Suck. It's easy. It's simple. It'll take you two seconds. If you have an iPhone and you made it this far, that means you at least enjoyed the conversation or you didn't hate it. Because if you would have hated it, then you would have shut it off. Okay? So, I know that there are thousands of you who made it to this point because I can see on Apple Podcasts that there are thousands of you that made it to my voice right now so it's actually quite simple. Rate the show five stars and type pugs suck. And if you see a person with a t-shirt on, with a pug on it, or pug life, or anything like that, slap them in the face. Okay? Slap them in the face. And I'm not even kidding. You think I'm kidding normally when I say this sort of thing? It's a joke? Nope. I am inciting violence. If you see a pug shirt, you smack that person in their mouth. It's very simple. It's very simple, okay? And of course, I'm kidding. I have to say that because people will get mad and say, Brendan, you can't incite violence against pugs. Don't step on pugs, okay? But if you're walking through a hallway in the dark and you kick one, that's okay. Just say it was an accident and we'll get through it. Thanks for listening, people. See you actually like in tomorrow. Bye-bye. <clears throat>